Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. Let me read you scripture. It said, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices to the to that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. And very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And they entered the tomb. They saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right saw it and they were alarmed. He said, don't be alarmed. He said, you are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. This is where you say amen. Amen. He is not here. See the place where they had laid him, but go tell his disciples and tell Peter. We'll talk about that in a moment. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were what? They were afraid. I want you to look at the person next to you today. And it may not mean anything to you in this moment. And it may feel a little strange by saying it, especially if the person's a stranger. But I want you to look at them and say these next words. Meet me. Look, look at the person and say, meet me in Galilee. Meet me in Galilee. You may be seated. I have high expectations. If I go to a restaurant and um, I, depending on what restaurant I go to will depend on my expectation. If I go to Scampers, for example, I have a certain expectation to have a good feed of fish. You know what I'm saying? Uh, But if I go to a more high-end restaurant, I have an expectation for it to be really good. And, and, And I easily buy into something when I am told there is a high expectation, especially movies. I love movies. A good movie always has the opening that draws you into the storyline with a plot and a subplot. But what makes a great story is its epic ending. And I'm, I'm uncomfortable with stories that end bad. It ruins my day. Especially when it ends with the main character dying. When that happens, I am days getting over it. I'll be lying in bed and I will say, why? Why did he have to die? Why did she have to die? I'll be driving down the road, coming up with alternative endings for the movie, saying this is a better ending than the way that they died. It makes no sense to me why heroes should die. It really bothers me if you're wondering. I watched a movie called American Sniper. It's a true story. It's about a gentleman by the name of Chris Kyle. He was a marksman. He was a sniper in the American army. And he had done a number of tours in Afghanistan. It's a true story. And he, every time he went and did a tour and came back, it tore a piece out of his life. 
And he had done six or seven tours. As a matter of fact, he was one of the greatest snipers in all of American history, over 200 or 300 kills. And every time he came back home, he would die a little bit more. And, and by the end of it, he, he couldn't do it no more. He came back home and had this immense stress, PTSD, and, and he, he could hardly get it over. And he almost took his own life, almost. And he got better. It was a miracle, really. And what he had started doing is he started mentoring other people going through the same situations coming back from different tours. And towards the end of the movie, he was mentoring. It was a beautiful ending, I thought. And towards the end of the movie, one of the army people that he was mentoring killed him. And I said to myself and to the universe, why? Why does a movie have to end like this? You want, you want to know why I struggle with that? Because heroes end the story living, not dying. Right? I don't want, don't tell me about movies where people die at the end. I want heroes to live. And see, we are, we're celebrating Easter at the end of our 100 series, the very last message in the serving part of our series, Mark chapter 16. It has the makings of a good storyline, but a terrible ending. We, we don't see the appearance of a risen Christ. We see it in Matthew's gospel and Luke because there are four gospel accounts, but the same story told four different ways from different uh, perspectives with, with four different major themes with one, one main character. When Mark ends his gospel, there is no appearance of Jesus, just a few people with an expectation. And if you're reading along in your Bible, you will see verses 9, 10, and 11, and 12. But they were added much later by second century scribes. The oldest manuscript of the Greek New Testament, after they had transcribed for centuries, added some verses to it. Almost as if the ending of the story, like a bad movie ends, and they went out and fled from the tomb for their trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. It seems like the hero dies in this story. Whoever was copying it had to think this is like a great movie with the main character dying, but they knew the real ending. We have to remind people that Jesus came out of the tomb, appeared to Mary Magdalene, and we need to add verse 20, then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. That is the resurrection with a proper ending. But if you read Mark 16, it's an original manuscript. All you see is, and they went and fled and trembled, astonished, said nothing, and what were what? Afraid. They, they had transferred the fear of Good Friday into Easter Sunday. And you're in the room today, and you know that habit where you transfer from one day fear into another and it becomes a perpetual sense of fear in your life. And you could relate to this today. They were walking away from the tomb with a good story, but not the third day victory. This was a, a real moment, church. Really, their faith had built up about the, this moment for centuries by prophets who had foretold of it. The ladies even going to the tomb that day knew of the prophecies. Of, of what was foretold. It says in he would be born of a woman. Genesis, Genesis chapter 3 says it. Born of a woman. And it was accomplished in Matthew 1. They knew this. 
He, he would come from the line of Abraham, Genesis 17, Matthew 1. They watched this accomplished. He would be betrayed, Psalms 41, Luke 22. And he, he, his side would be pierced by a soldier on the cross, Zechariah 12 and John 19. Even, even 700 years before his death, Isaiah describes it, but he was wounded for our transgressions. 700 years Describing it, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Wow. Even prophecy, prophetically, they knew of this story, but yet it ends. They fled, trembled, astonished, said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. You see, faith has a way of doing that, doesn't it? There is a temptation sometimes to make faith something that it's not and determine our faith in the present moment by what we can see and feel. How did you feel? How did you feel when you woke up this morning? Some of you felt really good because you're at the 11 a.m. service. But any given morning, if you had to determine your faith by the way you felt, it would be a bad day, wouldn't it? And that's the challenge here. Jesus was absent from the tomb, and we have to recognize this is a powerful moment. See, faith is not a denial of reality, but it's actually a deeper reality than what I can see. This is really what is going on in Mark 16. Although faith isn't visible at the moment, faith is still there. Even though I can't see it, God is working. Look at someone and say, just say say this to them, God is at work. And so in this moment in Mark 16, Jesus was absent from the tomb, and we have to recognize that even though he was absent, it was one of the most powerful, pivotal moments in all of Scripture. He is not here. He is not here. That's the language we use as we journey in our own lives. We question where God is, and we say things like this. It's an age-old problem we have when we cannot see something. We think because God is absent, he is not at work in your life. But it is evident in Mark 16 that even though these women find Jesus missing from the tomb, that his absence doesn't mean he is not at work in our lives. When God is absent from your life, he's doing the greatest work. And sometimes... Jesus' absence works better for our lives. Our faith is not based on what we see. It is based on who God is. Amen? They were tempted to think he is missing, therefore he is absent from working. So they had this deep, painful, unmet expectation that turned into this great disappointment. They brought spices, and and according to the Jewish calendar, Jesus had been dead for three days. These ladies were coming to his grave, not out of anger. We see a number of occasions his disciples respond out of anger. As a matter of fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, not long before his death, they're standing there, they had prayed, and the soldiers came along, right? And he pulled out his sword, Peter, right? And he snapped off the ear of a soldier. He thought the gospel was going to be by force. We see that. But these women in Mark 16 go with spices in the middle of their disappointment. They were doing what they could do in the middle of their disappointment. Where were the disciples? 
I ask really strange questions when I'm reading God's word. And I'm thinking as I'm preparing this, to, this week, where are the disciples in the middle of all this? The disciples who were outspoken when Jesus was present, they are haughty now that he's absent. Listen, I, 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 I was at a hockey game a couple of years ago. And just, but just, just to go off my notes for a second, today is uh, a hockey game. At 4.30. Uh, it's uh, the game number six. The series is three to two. And I want to tell you something, okay? That I know this is Easter Sunday and the main resurrection happened through Jesus. But if Toronto overcomes the enemy, you will find a pastor rising, Okay? <laughs> And you will know about it. The entire universe will know about it in the form of Facebook. <laughs> and I went to a hockey game in Toronto a couple of years ago, and we sat in the nosebleed section. If, you, if you've ever sat there, you will know the people who sit in there, these sections are some of the most loyal fans, with very colorful language, by, by the way. And by the third period, we were down two goals and scored on us. And, 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 and by that time, another one was scored on us. You know what? It's a typical Toronto game. It was a long time ago, okay? And so by that time, we could see that the people that were down in the expensive area where they had season tickets and it cost them five and six and seven hundred dollars, when we were down three to nothing, they all started to get up and leave. Well, lo and in the nosebleed section, nobody moved. And they turned their attention from the game to start booing the people who had more money than them. And, I, and, I, and I'm sitting there witnessing this, and I'm like, this, this makes no sense, right? Why can't you stay until the third period, right? The less loyal people who were shouting in the first period are now making a beeline for the door. They want it out early. You can't help but notice those closest to Jesus. Those who sat closest to the action of Jesus. They had seen Jesus spit in the ground and make some mud and heal a blind man. They had witnessed Peter get out of the boat and walk on the water. They had even ate together the night before his death. But now they are absent in this moment. And one for sure is Peter who just a short few days ago, as we just heard, had cut off an ear who would never, never let Jesus go. He didn't want Jesus to be absent. But now that Jesus is gone, Peter is gone too. Not only Peter, Jesus' brother James and Matthew and Luke, nowhere to be seen. Those who show up for the show in the first period are not always the most loyal in the third not only was Jesus missing from the tomb, so was Peter. Sometimes the loudest people at the game are the most absent when it really matters. you got co-workers like that, right? When the boss is around, they're all full of, of vinegar, you know, and, and, and so much knowledge, right? But when the boss leaves, right? Not always the most loudest. Always, you know, at some points they're in the game until it was all over. Now they were all hiding the disciples in a room away from the tomb in the third period on the third day. You could read it for yourself in Luke 24. They, they, Jesus says to them, why are you troubled? They're hiding. Well, why does your doubt rise in your mind? And this is why Mary and Mary and Salome were in this predicament that they were in. Because they couldn't find someone to help them to roll the tomb away. 
And, and, and note, noteworthy here is that just 50 days from now, Peter will preach at the day of Pentecost. But right now, he had an expectation of Jesus. It was unmet. It was paralyzing. He was disappointed. And he didn't want to be disappointed even further. Now, I have to be honest with you. Sometimes when my faith is at an all-time high and God doesn't show up the way I expect, the disappointment eclipses everything, doesn't it? Even reading my Bible. Pastor, am I going to some of your pastors? Should be reading your Bible, shouldn't you? Even reading my Bible. Raising my hands in church on Sunday mornings. It makes me crooked. When I have an expectation of God, my expectation, and he doesn't show up in the way that I want him to show up. I'm just a human like you. And this is why many of us don't take faith steps. We create defense mechanisms so our faith isn't wounded again. We hide in rooms away from the realities of life like Peter, like James, like Matthew. Because faith can be fragile. Let me tell you, hope can be fragile. When you hope in something and, you, and your faith is built up, it can be very fragile. It can be very vulnerable. Especially when it's not met. Because you've lost hope and faith in that thing or that someone and you become chipped away. You know what I'm talking about. And so as Peter stood there in the middle of the cross, in the shadow of his disappointment, he is hiding away in a room. Neither is James there, as I said, and the entire disciples. So now the women are on the way, and the reality of his death has killed any faith they had that he would return. They lack so much faith. So much faith. They took spices and oil, which which was ritually what they would do is take that and apply it to the body to to lower the stench. They, they They bought into this idea that Jesus was gone. His body was there. He was rotting away. They had bought into it. Their faith was chipped away. And we can relate to that. But I have good gospel news today. God is already working out the disappointment that is destroying your faith. You hear what I'm saying? God is at work in your life and you are tempted to assume that because he is absent, that he is not at work. But I have good gospel news for you today. God is already working out the disappointment that is destroying your faith. Amen? Amen. I am preaching way better than you're saying amen. And the Bible says when they got there, not only was the stone gone, but an angel was there. Not only did the angel do what they couldn't do by rolling the stone away, but sat down. The, the, the women were, they were aghast. They were astonished, not just because who was present, but who was absent. Who was absent. And we have to recognize here, Jesus His absence was the greatest demonstration of God's power in all of Scripture. Because what they couldn't do, he had already done. Amen? And all power and all authority belongs to Jesus. You see, the disciples left the game in the second period and missed the comeback. On on the third day, because his absence from the grave today means we don't have to live with the disappointment of an absent God. Faith isn't what we can see, it is in who God is. This is where you say amen again. 
Do I need to put an amen script on the TV? I mean, Good Friday, the disciples watched from a distance as his lifeless body hung on that cross. And I know you're in the room today and you're mourning the death of something in your life. It has caused you to question your belief in God or whether or not God is near, but it's only Friday. Saturday, we don't have to live with the loneliness of Saturday where the disciples were sandwiched between the death of Jesus and the loneliness of life beyond the grave. Those dreams you have that you think that are gone, it's just Saturday, amen? We are third day people, it's Sunday. The stone is rolled away and the absence of Jesus in the tomb doesn't mean Jesus is absent in your life. Woo, come on. The empty tomb means he has defeated the very thing that separates you from him. And it says, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. If you're wondering, that is you. Don't make me sing. I was... Lost and undone without God or his son. What's the rest? When you reach down. Wow. You see, because of Christ's third day, you can have a first day. That hopelessness you have been feeling, that emptiness, and what you think you cannot get through in your life, Jesus has already accomplished on your behalf. His third day can be your first day. God is working when you think he is not. Do not be deceived. His absence, he is working. And Matthew gives us a detail that Mark doesn't because Matthew says at some point between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., apparently there were morning people. In the darkness and disappointment, while they they were walking, God was at work. Matthew 28 says, and behold... There was a great earthquake, and for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled the stone and sat on it. What's amazing about this addition is that while the women were on the way in the darkest part of their night to the tomb, the angel was on the way. God was at work. And while they were coming, the pain of what what had happened over the last couple of days, God was doing Something You see, God's best work is done in the darkest parts of our lives. He is not absent. They were on the way to do all they could do. And it is a lesson for us today. When we show up and do what we could do, God shows up and does what we cannot do. The ladies were concerned about an object they couldn't move. You know, but Jesus was at work removing the greatest object to humankind through his resurrection power. An empty tomb doesn't mean a distant God. That's Easter. God did for us what we couldn't do. Easter doesn't end in disappointment. It doesn't end in failure. I'll tell you why we know that it doesn't end in failure. Because the Easter story introduces a failure back to the story by the name of Peter. He was, in all accounts, a loser. He had disobeyed, he had 
Took, he, had, he, had, he had not surrendered to Christ. He was there when, in the first and the second period, right? But not in the third period. Peter disappeared. And Jesus reminded Peter, not only before his resurrection, that he would deny Jesus once, but three times. But don't worry about it, Peter. Jesus says, I have a job for you to do on the other side of your failure. Do you know that there is life on the other side of your failure? So when the angels said in Mark, I'm going to meet you in Galilee, it was more than just a plan, on the, a place on the map, but a reminder of the mission. But many of us would remember that Galilee was the place where, where Jesus did most of his miracles. It was the Sea of Galilee where Peter took Jesus around to preach. It's the place where he first even called Peter. So when the angel says, meet me in Galilee, what I love about this scripture in the middle of the resurrection story is it says, but go tell his disciples and who? And Peter. That he is going to be going before you into Galilee. This stopped me in my tracks. The one who disappointed Jesus deeply? Jesus signaled him out by name to be the first person, person after Resurrection? Hold on a second here. And I love this because Jesus' third day became Peter's first day. How's that for grace? How's that for hope? How is that for new beginnings? How is that for a new surrender? They're going back to Galilee because this story doesn't end at a grave. Go tell Peter because in 50 days, he will preach a message. I need him on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit comes. I want the one who failed the greatest publicly to be the one to proclaim my resurrection publicly. Man, that is you. And he calls you and me and all the mess of your life in your past in your present, and what you're going to do is grace bigger than the mistakes that you're going to make in your future? I certainly hope so. Not that we lean into sin, not that we habitually continue sin, but that's how big grace is. And he knew it for Peter's life. And it became his first day. And they're going back. And he's calling Peter out. The one who disappointed him publicly is now the poster child post-resurrection. How is that for a great ending? And you're here today in this room on Easter Sunday and you're living inside of your own failure. And what you need to realize is that the third day of Easter all allows you to experience life not through the lens of your failure, but because of Jesus' third day, you can have your first day of experiencing a new life through the lens of grace. Amen? And Peter, put your name there. Put your name there. And Bruce, <laughs> put your name there. Well, you know, I can't do that because, you know, because you know, right now, contextually, you know what, I'm just not in the place. You know what, if I put my name there, the TV will burn and I've just been in a place in my life where, uh, you know, no, put your name there. Well, you know, Pastor, you know what? I haven't been church in a long time. I mean, this God thing, you know what? God went to a cross before you, he, before you were born at just the right time. At just the right time. Before you were born. You can place your name right 
there. And when the angels calls Peter by name, the women respond in a surprising way. It's surprising to me because Jesus reminds them three times in the Gospels that he would be mocked, he would be scourged, and he would be spit on. And in three days, I will rise. He tells them that. The women that are walking to the grave with, with, with spices and oil knew this. They, they knew it prophetically. They watched it being accomplished. They were going to the grave. They were even reminded just days and weeks before. I'm, they're going to they're take my body. They're, gonna, they're, going to, they're going to mock me and scourge me. In three days, I'm going to rise. So it makes no sense to me, to me to see Mark in its early writings on resurrection morning and it ends, for they are afraid. Because any time being afraid is mentioned in Mark's gospel, it is met with a response from Jesus. There's a pattern. See, a woman approaches Jesus one time. She had done everything she could. She was sick. She had a woman with an issue of blood. And she had tried everything. She had placed all kinds of stuff in her body to try to to heal herself and to get well. But she couldn't do it. And one last ditch effort. She heard that this man, Jesus, wasn't even sure about who he was. But she knew that she was desperate. She needed help. And she needed someone to come and heal her of this sickness. And there was a crowd. There was always these people trying to get around Jesus. And she was desperate. And she pushed through the crowd. And she touches Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus stops his public ministry to minister to someone someone in the moment. And in the middle of this crowd today, you're in the middle of a crowd. Jesus is, is concerned about you in this moment. And she reaches out and she touches him. And Jesus says and stops, someone touched me. And the disciples said, blessed Father, Lord. There's a million people around nearby. Of course, people are touching you. And he said, no, 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 no. Someone has touched me. And this woman, recognizing the commotion, knowing what had happened to her, came, and it says what? Came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Because when we are afraid, something happens. There is a pattern in scripture in Mark, Mark chapter 5. In another case, a ruler of a synagogue had a daughter who died while Jesus was on the way to heal her. And the disciples said, just well, not go, my son. She's dead. She's gone. And Jesus goes, the disciples wanted Jesus to stop because she had died, but Jesus says she is not dead. Look what he says to the ruler. Do not fear, only believe. And when he got there, they knew fear didn't have the last say, but faith did, and she was healed. Amen? Any storms in your life? In Mark 4, one night they were in a great storm, and the Bible says they feared exceedingly. But once again... When fear enters the picture, so does Jesus and speaks, peace be still. And in the middle of our unmet expectations that cloud our judgments and cloud our spirituality and clouds our joy and our hope, when I am disappointed, when I have failed, as as the band returns, those around me and God, when I am afraid, Jesus says, meet me in Galilee, the stone is rolled away, the work is done. For what the law, 
was powerless to do. You can go ahead and clap. And what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, that's you, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering for who? For all. And he does for us what we cannot do, and he calls us to Galilee to live in the freedom of the cross. Mark 16 doesn't end with the woman staying in silence. That's not the end of the story. They went out and told the disciples, and what was the disciples' response? Here we go again, fear and doubt. Because they had bought into this idea, like we do sometimes, that God doesn't exist because I can't feel him. And he made a promise that he didn't keep, and I have this, this unmet expectation in my life, and I'm disappointed, and I feel like a failure, and I'm standing here afraid, and here they were in fear and doubt, and all the makings, all the makings of a bad end to a movie. Because they think the main character is dead. <laughs> if, if I could sing in tune, I would start singing now but I don't want to empty the building. <laughs> but we know in the face of fear, Jesus shows up. Come on. And we see it again after his resurrection. The disciples are in a room, the pain of unmet expectations. They are disappointed. They feel like failures, and they are afraid. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. That's how far their faith had gone. They knew it prophetically. They learned it. They memorized the Torah. They knew scripture. They knew the prophecy. But yet they had bought into this thing that, that Christ was gone. And I'm, I'm hurting and my expectations are at an all-time low. And they even saw it physically. It must be a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do your doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. He says, touch and see. See it. And see, what Christ had to do in that moment, he had to, had to give them some type, because they were human, right? We look for physical signs of God in our lives. And he says, I, I know you're human, and I'm God, and I, I, I'm not surprised that I'm here, but I know you are, so just touch. Can you imagine that moment? They touch. It's you. You see, fear is the catalyst to faith because we are third-day people. We are not standing in an open tomb wandering in fear because heroes end the story living, not dying. <laughs> and because he lives, we are on the way to Galilee with a new story, with a new hope, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our hearts. Amen? As every head is bowed all over this room, just before we end, we're going to participate in something together before it ends. Jesus is calling someone today out of your grave. It's the grave of shame and fear and sin. You're trying to live up to some religious expectation in your life, but the stone is rolled away. The price has been paid. For every person who's had a season of disappointment like Mary and Salome and you are in, you're in this desperate di disappointment uh, in God, of God in your life and in need of God, 
And for those who need to experience the salvation and the resurrection power of God in this moment, if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, there is good news. Amen? You will be saved. Work has been done. His redemption can turn your life around. And we're going to say this prayer together all over this room. Christian or not Christian, and maybe today for the first time in your life, you're going to repeat this prayer. God is calling you now. And the question you need to ask yourself on Easter Sunday, who is the Lord of your life? So let's repeat it together all over this room. After me, I come to you. Say it again. I come to you as a sinner in need of a Savior. Thank you for your son. I believe he died to forgive my sins and rose again to give me new life. I receive this new life. Make me a new creation. Because of your third day, this is my first day of salvation. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.